My guest today comes to us courtesy of an introduction from our friends at 56 Brave. We're talking to Major General Tom Mulliken. But first, a bit more about 56 Brave. They are a badass patriotic apparel company founded by Special Forces veterans. You guys remember my friend Lowell Coppert, the Green Beret, who's working to move and restore the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Aiken, South Carolina. Well, this is his company, and they're making great gear that pays homage to the 56 Brave that pledged their life and sacred treasure to the founding of our great nation. We have a promo code for our listeners to save you 10% off at 56brave.com. Use the code the 6 spelled all out, P-I-C-K-U-P-T-H-S-I-X, the 6 and you're going to save a few bucks on cool gear. So go check them out today. It's 56brave.com, promo code the 6 at checkout. It's estimated that there is north of 10 million metric tons of plastic being dumped into the ocean across our planet. It's a real problem that's having an impact, not just on the creatures that call the sea home, but on you and me. So what can we do about it to pick up the six for the planet? Tom Mulliken joins the show again to talk about efforts that he's part of, including his recent trip to the Galapagos. He's an incredible person, and we're honored to welcome him back to the show. We have a really interesting conversation, and I think you're really going to like it. Tom Mulliken, back on Pick Up the Six podcast, sir. It's good to have you again. Oh, man. Great to be back with you. Oh, thanks man. for all you're doing. Oh, I can't. I'm thrilled. I'm laughing because I'm just so thrilled to, to see you, to get to spend this time with you. And one of the things that uh, I'm just so grateful for was, you know, we were, were, were rounding into year two of this effort through this show and really this growing community. And we've just been so grateful for our listeners and, and folks that have just been thrilled to hear the stories uh, of the incredible Americans that we've had on this show. And I was exchanging ideas with folks and said, I want to, I want to kick off year two with a bang. And I sent you a text message and you're like, I got a guy for you. This Steve Gonzalez, Gonzo. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's part of Force Blue, just doing incredible work. And he's a Louisiana ball of energy. And sir, you were hundred percent correct on that. So thank you for hooking us up with him. Great guy. Great guy. Doesn't get any better than Gonzo. Great um, American. You're right about that. He he is absolutely that. And we had a very cool conversation, not just about his uh, service uh, in the SEAL teams, but about what he's doing now. And, and what I'm loving is these, these guys, uh, specifically who we've been talking to, are former military guys, and quite frankly, even more specifically, former special operator team guys that are finding real purpose in the second half of their lives, post-military career. I got a lot of fight left in me. I got a lot of physical activity left in me. What, what can I do with the gifts I've been given? And I loved hearing the story about how he's been just so incredibly unlocked through this organization called Force Blue and trying to legit save the planet. And who better than guys like Captain America, Steve Gonzo, to now become Captain Planet? So it kind of fits, man. Yeah, he's doing great work. And Force Blue is is just a remarkable organization. I'm thrilled and honored to serve as their chief legal officer. And they just have some remarkable uh, former operators that are mostly SEALs, but some former uh, special forces divers and then some former uh, broken down JAG officers that attached to special operations. Uh, <laughs> Referencing and, himself there, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> potentially. Doing some, doing some great work. And it's, it's about doing it. We talked a little bit. People in this country and around the world are ready for somebody to do something about what they see. Yeah. 
Now, I started working on these issues about 40 years ago, and there was a lot of talk, academic talk, government talk, and a lot of modeling. We're not modeling anymore. We're measuring. And people are ready for folks to do something, even if it's not by itself. And there is no panacea. They want to see people out there getting it done. And that's what Forest Blue is doing. They're doing terrific work in the United States and around the world. And I'm really, really proud of all the work that they're doing together. So we've got Major General Tom Mulliken on the show today. Guys, you might remember if you're new to the show, we had Tom on months ago and was very blessed to get to meet him on a trip down to Aiken, South Carolina, hanging out with my buddy Lowell Coppert. We were at a uh, at a memorial event for a fallen Marine in the local community there, and I got a chance to meet Tom. And, and the first time you came on, we, we talked a lot about who you are and your upbringing and how you ended up uh, in the Army, a major general. Uh, that doesn't happen on accident. And I'll toot your horn a little bit because I know that you won't but had an incredible career, guys. And so I highly encourage you to go back and find that episode. We talk a lot about, Tom, again, his upbringing, the challenges in life, uh, literally uh, born with basically two left feet and just had to battle through uh, that adversity, but didn't let it be that, really. Just let it kind of be who you were. And, And I think it made him a tough individual. And he was part of the legal team that did a lot of work on Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, which was a pivotal moment in our nation's history. So as always, sir, we just thank you for all of that and, and the dedication you've had to this great country. And I just, I just know, and I wanted to ask you again, just off the top is I just know it means so much to you. I know that this nation that goes through hard times and sometimes they feel like they're harder than others uh, is, is still the greatest, still the greatest uh, on the planet earth. Um, and I believe that's because of some divine intervention, but just your thoughts kind of on where we're at right now with things. That's a complex time we're living in. You know, it's uh, very complex and you see what's going on in Ukraine and there's some triggering points there, some thresholds that if we cross, it's going to be even more complex, but I would say, and I probably said this the last time we're together, I've traveled around the world for the last 40 years and I could say as fact, that the opportunities that I've had and the success that I've enjoyed have a whole lot more to do with the country that I was raised in than my own personal characteristics or hard work. I've met a lot of people smarter than I am, that work harder than I have, that have a whole lot less than I have. And it's because they didn't have the good fortune of being born in the United States of America. We've got something just remarkable here throughout all of time. And uh, we've got something worth fighting for. And whether it's fighting for our, continuing to fight for our independence or fighting that we would be able to protect those areas of the country that are now under siege because of uh, rapidly amplified climate change, it's, it's all worth fighting for. So thank you. And let me just say for myself, I'm, I did next to nothing. I worked for people who did great things. And I'm proud to have served in the Army and also in the State Defense Forces and served great Americans who were doing some remarkable work on our behalf. Yes, sir. Here, here to that. You talked about traveling the globe. You, you're fresh off of a trip to the Galapagos Islands. There's also something you just said to me that I think is pretty unique, but I think it's worth leaning into because we feel like we live in this sort of hyper-partisan time. You, sir, as far as I can tell, based on our conversations and what I know about you, a rather conservative man in your faith belief and your political beliefs. You just talked about climate change and embracing how we can tackle those things. That seems rather taboo in today's political climate, doesn't it? So first of all, tell me a little bit about this trip to Galapagos. I know we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, 
but what the heck were you doing down in one of the most beautiful places on the planet? Well, I, I teach there in the Galapagos. I've, I've been teaching as a visiting professor for the uh, University of San Francisco, Quito, a large private university in Ecuador. And I've been teaching out environmental law and policy down in the Galapagos for about a decade now. They are, have partnerships with various universities around the United States. And this particular class, I was there on behalf of uh, the University of South Carolina, where I serve as a, a, a professor on, on the faculty there. And it was great. It's a great incubator. You can see a lot, you know, aside from the endemic species, see how things are impacting. And it was a great class, brilliant students, and just had a fun time. I'd, I was saying that we really serving in three capacities. So it was racing from sunup to sundown and afterwards, uh, teaching the class. I helped direct a foundation that's dedicated to raising money for science in the Amazon and on the Galapagos Islands. And then I also do work through my, my nonprofit that involves cleaning up and doing a uh, number of other things that involve getting involved, stop the talk and stop start the action. And we did it. I lost you. Uh, no worries. We're, we're back. We're back online. I lost you at, and we did another good cleanup. Can you take me back in there? Yes. We, the, the foundation is involved in, in, in doing projects. Last year, we, we led an effort in South Carolina. We planted 3.4 million trees on one day. Wow. Uh, over a hundred thousand volunteers in South Carolina. We're doing uh, cleanups twice a month that we can talk about. And then, as you know, this next year, uh, during SC7 expedition, we lead from the mountains to the sea, we'll lead what we believe will be the largest artificial reef planning in the history of the world. So this cleanup was part of those, those actions. We worked in coordination with a scientist at University of San Francisco, Quito, and the local surf club, uh, which is a group of friends, and we help sponsor their international surf competition. And the surfers come out and help us clean up some of these isolated bays. So what, all right, let, let's do this first, because we're going to get into all this and, and kind of navigate our way through it. And, I, and from a 30,000 foot view, and then we'll head down into the depths of the ocean. What is happening below the surface? Because, you know, we can see videos and hear about, you know, straws in turtles' noses and all. What, what really, what's happening down there? Okay, well, let, let, I mean, let's put four corners around it. Sure. When we talk about the, the oceans and, 70% of Earth is water. 2.7% is freshwater. So that which keeps humans alive, water, source of water, 2.7%. A little more than 1% is all we have available to us. Because the other 1.7% is captured in the ice continent in Antarctica, Greenland, and in the glaciers on mountains. So we have a commodity that's very important to life on Earth. We're dealing with the oceans with a couple of respects. One, because of what's going on with climate generally. And that's just really in itself, believe it or not, is a toxic political term. Mm -hmm. So I'll just lay that down. We're seeing changes that are, that are causing sea level rise. And why is sea level rise important? Because 60% of the world's population, excuse me, 40% of the world's population lives within 60 miles of the ocean, 40%. And slight derivations in sea level 
create major problems. We're seeing on average now about four millimeters year sea level rise. And as this, and this isn't modeling, this is measured, mm -hmm. right? As we see sea level rise, that begins to impact, have major impacts on city, Boston, New York, moving our way down. So it's, you know, it makes sense once you think about it. And it, it's not like pouring water into the deep end of a pool. Very small differences in sea level rise create major differences. Right now we're seeing it in cities with what, what academics would call uh, nuisance flooding, like sunny day flooding, mm -hmm. rains hard, there's nowhere to go. So it's flooding on streets. Charleston, this has happened routinely. So we have sea level rise that's creating problems along coastal cities and particularly in island nations and an island like the Galapagos. So we have sea level rise as, as an issue. With plastics, it's, it's very simple. It's not about aesthetics. I mean, it's, it's unsightly, but it's really with plastic, it's where you see epidemiology meet ecology. Mm -hmm. Plastic is, I'm looking on my desk, I'm sure I have something, um, is, made out of a, is made out of petroleum. So this plastic is made out of petroleum. We throw, last year, they an estimated 14 million metric tons last year in the ocean. And those plastics break down into microplastics. And then now in what's being studied as nanoplastics and are eaten by small fish, eaten by bigger fish, and then become a part of the human food chain. And it's still a carcinogen, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, there's some unsightly, I'm, you know, is it moving to see a, you know, a turtle with a straw up its nose? Yes. I'm equally concerned about the fish that ate the microplastics as I am that site, right? That, right. That's the first thing that jars me, right, in our conversation is for you to say, look, there are there are inherent physical dangers of uh, a soda, uh, you know, container ending in the ocean and someone, you know, a fish swimming into that and getting trapped in that, right? the unseen danger of that plastic breaking down and making its way into the food chain into which humans can consume. I'm like, Whoa, yeah. that's a problem. It, it is a problem. And that's where, you know, if you look at plastics in the oceans, one thing, the largest emitter of ambient mercury in the United States is China. And we're, we're choking on the pollution of their success. Mm -hmm. You know, they have unfettered, environmental conditions so that we, you know we we have mercury ambient mercury that makes its way into our into our waterways it's in eaten becomes a part of the food chain through fish people living off that fish so my concern is not so much as as a tree hugger worried about aesthetics i became very interested in the issue of cancer and heightened cancer when i saw my mom die slowly and I really began reading more on, on these tremendous escalating instances of cancer. And why is that? Um, we're, there are things that we can do better. You know, I mean, everybody wants to find a boogeyman. I, and there are people that want to draw me into kicking around the petrochemical companies that, that make plastic. Yeah, you know, you can have that conversation. Why are you throwing the water? 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they didn't throw it in the water. You yeah. did. That's right. You know we like, have some responsibility in, in the exactly. Everybody's a part of this thing. There is. I mean, you drove your, there, so it's like, we got to get out of the blame game and just talk about sort of best practices. 14 million metric tons of plastic. Where's it coming from? Well, I just was on that bay last Friday. So let me tell you. Yeah. What'd you see? Most of it was plastic bottles coming from China. So what does that tell you? We already know that there's a number of Chinese vessels fishing illegally in the waters around the Galapagos. Invariably, they get caught. There was a picture last year of a barge where the whole bottom of the barge was with hammerhead sharks that were caught and killed and put in there um, in the bottom of this barge. And it's not all China, but what I saw was a lot of Chinese waste. The bottles that were there because they weren't broken down were fairly fresh. Many of them would coming from China, it's coming right off the side of fishing boats. Mm-hmm. We need to have an educational campaign that people understand that, it, like we're saying. And so, why do you say we started off by talking about special operators and about hardened veterans? When you have a retired or former Delta sniper or Gonzo's off-deployed Navy SEAL say, come on, guys, we can do better than this. That's not some hippie showing up with a tie-dyed T-shirt. And, you know, not, I mean, I, they're both sides are friends of mine. So I'm not knocking right. it, but people are like, holy, yeah, this really? Right. Like he's upset about it? Like maybe we need to – it completely reshapes the conversation. Yeah. And all they're doing is finding out, look, you know, it's we can do better than this. Let's clean it up and let's stop doing it. We're killing our kids and our grandkids because we're taking away from them the opportunity to enjoy clean water and we're reducing what's available to us by practices that just simply can be better. Is that okay? So it's absolutely no, that, that sets an dropping stuff that sets an incredible stage for where we're at. I think it, it gives us some, uh, a pretty easy way to understand, right. And, and picture, what we're happening. There are, there are these amazing places across the globe. And, and I'm sure this happens in all areas of the, of the ocean. One question I wanted to ask was you're specifically in the Galapagos, beautiful place from what, and you sent me a video beforehand that just beautiful scenery, but then just tons of this plastic. Are there, are there certain places where it, where it funnels in more, where, where it's more of an issue than in other parts of the globe and other bodies of water? And, and why would that be the case? Well, that's a great question. And the Galapagos, the reason why it's so unique is that you have three currents, the confluence of three currents. So if you can imagine on one side of the islands, you have the the Humboldt current coming up from the Southern Sea, cold water, and the current's coming up there and it's bringing with it everything that was in that current. Mm -hmm. On the other side of the island, you have the Panama or Californian current coming down with warm water. And then at a deep water current, you have the Cromwell that's bringing an even different type. So you can imagine when you have the confluence of that, these isolated bays then become more like landfills. And they're pulling with it garbage from all over the world or within those large currents. And so that's the reason why you see, and we, the video I sent you was an isolated bay on the, the backside of San Cristobal. That is, the National Park does an exceptional job. They can't stop all the world's garbage there, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So typically when I'm down there, we try to schedule a cleanup and go out there and we need armies of people 
Maybe I should say navies of people. I'll go with armies. <laughs> we go, need armies. You go, of, you go with what you're used to. Yeah, <laughs> we need armies of volunteers out there helping us clean it up. But it's as a scientist will tell you, Juan Pablo, who's been measuring this. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, of course, we're worried about what we can see, but what he's also worried about is what you can't see. Yeah. What immediately is goes down and becomes a part of the food chain because it's being picked up along the way. And that's troubling. We, we simply need to figure out incentives to get people to understand we can take this, we can recycle it, or we can use other products, but we've got to quit throwing it in the water. You've seen our world from the highest of highs, having summited incredible peaks to some of the deep lows, having uh, snorkeled and scuba dived through these areas and, and been through these incredible reefs. Uh, you know, there's something about focusing on, on what's below. We can easily look up at a mountain and see it up on the range. We can't look down into the water per se and be able to see what's there on this most recent trip to the Galapagos uh, and doing those cleanups. What were those daily cleanups like? What were, what were you guys doing? How were you collecting it? And what were you collecting? We, we had one major cleanup on this trip and we went, we, we collected, it's all accounted for. I mean, every single piece. So it's, it is very scientific. It's frankly like a military operation. We assigned quadrants, we marked it off. We cleaned up everything in there and everything inside that quadrant is chronologued in terms of what type of plastic or what type of waste, where it came from to the extent that you can identify it. And that's usually pretty easy mm-hmm. because it's on the label. And, um, and it becomes a part of a larger uh, cleanup initiative on San Cristobal. It's, um, it is disheartening. I mean, yeah. when you see it, because it's, it is unsightly, but again, it's not just the aesthetics of it. Yeah. It's epidemiology that's associated with it. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen out there? Anything crazy you've come across? Like how the heck did this get here? Well, yeah, I've done a lot of cleanups. I mean, right. I, I, the truth is, I think I still have some lawn furniture at my house that I collected. <laughs> I've, I've collected, um, I think I got a, a fairly nice shotgun that probably was a was used in a crime that got thrown out. But I mean, it was in there. So I took mm-hmm. it home, cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have anything that you can imagine floating out of somebody's garage or carport. I've, I've picked up from gas cans, antifreeze. And it's, it's tragic. We start talking about cleaning rivers. Many of these areas are beside areas where people are drawing water from well water. And this, the, these pollutants are leaching directly in the groundwater being pulled out. And that's where you're going to find 10, 15, 20 years from now cancer clusters. So the, I suppose probably the strangest thing was the, the gun that I found, but you know, cars, We've done some projects, just about anything you can imagine uh, being thrown in the, in the water. Yeah. It is tragic. I think about the scene from uh, the Netflix movie, The Irishman. I don't know if you saw that. It's like a four-hour epic <laughs> adventure. And uh, Robert De Niro plays a character, and he continues to go to this one bridge to drop what would be uh, you know, firearms that he doesn't want anybody to know he has. Yeah, I kind of think about that in that moment. And where this yeah, I'd- go somewhere, right? I did a project for a client in the New York, New Jersey harbor and did a dredging project up there and ran into all kinds of people just interested in finding, having a whole lot pulled up from the bottom of that harbor. I think that what's happened is 
I may have mentioned when I was born, there was about 3 billion people on earth. Now there's mm-hmm. 8 billion, you know, when my grandkids are, are grown, there'll be 15 or 20 billion, even with the, the best, most enforceable environmental standards, we're putting more stress on the environment. And what was might've been overlooked at 3 billion at 8 billion, it becomes much more of a problem. And it, it's no, it's no excuse for when it was fewer people, but it, it's more now. And we really have to create a culture of people that are interested in, particularly with, with, with the oceans, um, because they're so important to life on earth. Right. And some yeah. of these issues. So I think that we're, we're going to move away from, I think you will see us move away from this being a partisan issue because this I'll tell you as chairman of the governor's floodwater commission in South Carolina, when somebody's first floor is flooded, they don't really care what your party is and they don't. And, and here's where, and I know we talked about this, but if you don't mind me, you have a macro, when we're talking about climate, a macro atmospheric issue that manifests at a micro level in different ways in different places. And most people are still talking about the macro issue about greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. but the people that are dealing with it are dealing with it at a micro level. And so when you show up to somebody who's flooded out of their house or 10 million acres burned out West, right? Which then you see mudslides or desertification. They don't want to talk about China's emissions. They want to talk about the hell you going to do about my house. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if you'll forgive my language, it's yeah, naturally so. very immediate. And that's what's going on. People feel this issue. Now they see it in their backyard and the days of politicians being able to, run and use this issue as a re-election campaign where they don't really know what they're talking about, man, those days are yesterday. Today they want solutions. Yeah, you're exactly right. All right. So so what can what can we do? Right. This is that moment where we say, all right, what can the average American do? What can our listeners do to, to pick up the global six here? Right. What can we instill in our daily lives that can help be part of a growing solution? Because it might feel only like a little bit. But every little bit helps, and then it spreads because someone sees our actions and our activities. So, what can we start doing like tomorrow? Yeah, to that's a great, this cause. A great point. And let me let me also say for the folks listening, there is no panacea. So even though you might say, "Well, this is just a little thing," success is going to be a little thing. A lot of little things added up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what you're doing does matter. I mentioned to you that we planted 3.4 million trees. Yeah, why is that important? One mature tree, on average absorbs 10,000 gallons of water annually. It's a big deal. One mature tree sinks one metric ton of carbon over the life of the tree. So planting a tree matters. Going back, if you think about it, the flooding issues we have is where is made much worse because impervious surface, overdevelopment, okay? But I, I'm gonna take you through what we did in South Carolina, which is now being seen as a global leader. We started in the ocean. And in the ocean, we are, re- we are rebuilding a reef. Why, why is a reef important? Because a reef is where life begins. It's also the kidney of the ocean. So it's what begins to filter the water. It plays a, a very important part. And if you look at the good work, for example, that Forest Blue is doing, we were building living reef off the, off the coast of Florida. In South Carolina, we're building an artificial reef. And that also begins to help with wave attenuation. Is it a panacea? No, there is no panacea, but it helps. 
and we'll be doing that. We then have barrier islands in South Carolina, and that's a very descriptive term. Naturally, God set them up to be a barrier, right? And now they're completely paved. Mm -hmm. So we're beginning to look and protect land in South Carolina. We're considering a measure this year that will go from protecting 3 million acres to 6 million acres. And a lot of that is to address natural resiliency. We're then, we, we, when we're talking about coastlines, we want a living coastline. In South Carolina, North Carolina, a lot of the places up and down the coast until you get to Florida, mangroves won't grow, mm -hmm. but sweet grass will. So we're finding out what are those plants that will grow and stabilize our shoreline to keep it from eroding. And then what can we do to make sure that that natural protection remains? Then we're getting into our river systems with smart rivers using LIDAR and other technology that veterans would be very familiar with because we want to know why are our rivers getting why, impassable. A lot of that's garbage. Some of it's just trees and so forth. So we're cleaning our rivers so that we have natural flow from the mountains to the sea. And so what we're doing is we're going back to engage the public, to rebuild what the Lord gave us, like rebuild the Lord's garden, starting with natural resiliency strategies so that we then, when we plant a tree in South Carolina, we're not just planting one tree, we're planting an idea. We're getting people engaged because people are saying what you just said, what can I do? And then once they plant a tree, that's like, okay, that's easy. What else can I do? I'll train another 20 divers this weekend. We hope to have a thousand divers in the water on July 30th. I know we'll have at least 300 because I've certified 300 mm -hmm. over the last year. So we want to get people back in the game and we're using veterans. Veterans are involved, very actively involved. South Carolina, we've got 435,000 because they're used to initiative. They're used to take, take this mission oriented objective and go do it. And so we're, we're going to build these natural resiliency strategies. You know, one of the things Gonzo talked to us about, and I said, you know, what, what can we do? He said, here's what you can do. You go to the beach with your family. You go to the ocean with your family. Every time you do that, take an extra bag and do 10 minutes of cleanup before you leave. You and your family, take a walk, take a nice walk together, do 10 minutes of cleanup. Maybe you don't see any trash. Maybe you do. And maybe you pick up what you see. And then maybe somebody else sees you doing that. And then they do it. And then somebody else sees you doing it. And then they do it. And that trash can be disposed of properly so it doesn't end up back in that major waterway. I said, well, that's a super tangible way in which we can do that. As you're building the, the reef, right? The artificial reef, what materials go into that? What to school me up on, on what that process is like. How do you yeah. even do that? We, you know, for, for years, they used um, former military vehicles and ships. But what we found was that we what were, we were talking about like, hum, like Humvees and stuff. Yeah. They, they dropped all sorts of, retired military. It started off with Navy vessels. Mm -hmm. What what we found was early in the early years, they those vessels had hydraulic few fluids, some gas, oil-based paints, and that's no longer an opportunity and we don't need it to be. What we're doing is we're dropping down, if you can imagine, large cylinder, uh, conical cement blocks. And we even have in South Carolina, where the cement blocks are being fashioned by churches. So we have church groups involved. But for the most part, the large, the large cones 
are very large, very heavy, like coming off the back of a scientific vessel. Mm-hmm. Drop down that we then put the scientific gear on, uh, GoPros so that we can watch marine life and all the rest of that. So imagine something very clean without any paint, without anything drop down. And Coastal Carolina University is really, out of Myrtle Beach is one of the global mm-hmm. leaders in this. And the scientists there are the ones that are leading our effort along with our South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. So that's what it looks like. And if you can imagine an upside down, huge ice cream cone made out of cement, that's what it is. And so that's what you guys are going to be doing. You, you mentioned July 30th and this uh, big effort that you've got, then that's what's going to be happening the, the end of that month. Yeah, we, we're using, working with South Carolina DNR and we're helping build off of sites that have already been permitted. We didn't have time to, and nor did we need to. We, I think we're building off of like 18 sites from North Carolina to Georgia. And we're going to, um, we're going to build off those sites and get people involved. And it's going to be spectacular. And I hope you'll be there. I've got to find every way to make it possible. I'm loving this conversation because quite frankly, it's not an issue that we've talked about a whole heck of a lot. We've, we've talked about it a little bit and, and even through some other conversations, you know, uh, just respecting and and loving our planet. I mean, literally guys, we only get one, right? Like this, this is, this is what we get and we do have opportunities and it doesn't mean either that Tom hasn't asked you to, to give up your cell phone or to stop putting gas in your car or to stop wearing the clothes you want to wear or any of those things. It's more about finding opportunities to be good stewards of the resources that we have. It, it is. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, I got my, my PhD is in ecological theology mm-hmm. and the word steward is, is sort of the overriding term. Let, let me develop that for a minute. Do you mind? Sure, Please. Absolutely. The, for years, this thing has been a, a political issue and it focused on, the macro issue. It, it So it focused on greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners, I, I say this not to beat my chest, but I've been invited to some pretty remarkable forums around the world, Oxford University, St. Petersburg State, St. Petersburg, where I spoke to the members of the Russian Science Federation, all over the world, every, every continent. And I ask people this when, when they have me in, Thank you for having me come in to talk about the greenhouse gases. Which one would you like me to talk about? And almost invariably, when I ask that question, people look down because the people that have been largely the most vociferous in their interest in, in reducing greenhouse gases. And there'll be people who comment on your site saying that I'm full of it and I stand behind what I'm getting ready to tell you. Don't know what the greenhouse gases are. And what I could tell you 40 years later is if you don't know what the gases are, you're going to have a heck of a time reducing them. Okay. So I'm going to just spend a minute on this. All right. Mm-hmm. There are more than six, but the UN tracks six. And people say carbon, and I give it to them carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, and three synthetic gases perfluorocarbon, hydrofluorocarbon, sulfur hexafluoride. So if we put those up in a pie chart and we put that, just leave that there for a moment. And that's that's a very important part of the conversation. But then the next issue is where do they come from? And if you think about where they're coming from, if you think smokestack and tailpipe, you're most of the way there. So it's energy, industry, transportation, which is usually the largest, 
commercial, residential agriculture. And this becomes very important because for years, there have been ways to reduce those greenhouse gases. The problem is, is that the public narrative is you either have to have economic sustainability or environmental sustainability. And that's the narrative. And that's a false narrative. Because the truth is, if you don't have one, you don't have the other. Mm-hmm. And so what, I, what we're doing in South Carolina is we're showing that we can make marked reductions in what scientists call our anthropogenic interference. So our greenhouse gas footprint is about 57 million metric tons. Globally, depending on numbers, and, and I'm coming to you off the top of my head, so let's just say roughly 43 billion metric mm-hmm. tons. We're not even a rounding error, but on the macro issue, we're going to show about an 18% reduction over the next three or four years. And the way we're gonna do it is we're taking four coal plants off the grid and we're reducing, we're replacing them with utility scale solar. Okay, so let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. People, because my friends up in Kentucky be all upset. How are we doing that? Is it gonna make a mark reduction in in greenhouse gases, yes. But also utility scale solar is generating at about a penny a megawatt and coal is generating at about 3.2 cents a megawatt. So we're not only gonna markedly reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, but we're also gonna cut our costs. Bring costs down too, yep. Right? So with each of these gases in each of these sectors, we're looking for places where we can reduce our environmental footprint and increase our economic output. And here's what I can tell you, it does work. Mm-hmm. You can do it. It just requires you to get outside of this, this political vitriol and start doing just like you'd be doing. If I went in with an op board and I was in the middle of something with, and I went in there and just arm waving and you know, you're commanding officer, what are you talking about? What is our objective? You know, what are those obstacles we have and how do we meet that? It, we're trying to approach this in a way that would meet military mission requirements. And it takes you out of the emotion and gets you into issue resolution. Is that mm-hmm. I'm probably being Yeah, and honestly, there's a there's a ideological issue at bay here that comes with uh we'll call them hot button issues, but right, but just popular quote unquote divisive issues. Is that and you said it at the beginning was that well you can't <laughs> You either have to have economic growth or uh, environmental impact. Well, why is the or there? Why why are we constantly in a position of this or that? Why can't we be an and leaning society? Let's have right, let's have all let's have this and that. Now, listen. In some dire instances, things have to be this or that. But in something like this, it feels to me like the andest mindset over the orist mindset is the way that we can tackle this thing. It's when you go there, then you begin to look at, okay, we're fossil. The market is going to replace fossil fuels. So for all my friends and many of my clients, it's coming. Like the market will replace it. It'll be no different than when we quit killing sperm whales and we drilled that first barrel of oil. Titusville, Pennsylvania. The market now, because of the cost of uh, generation, cost has come down, and as storage goes up, storage is the key. That will unlock this major shift in how we generate and use energy. 
if you if you look at what's going on now, and I, I don't want to take shots at people, why are gas prices so high right now? Okay, the answer is you don't go from A to Z, right? Right. You don't cut off all your supply and hope that you can move from fossil fuels to having e-highways, e-vehicles, all sustainable. It's it's a measured growth, right? It's a continuum. And by the way, I mean, and you can't cut yourself off, think you're going to get there, and still be reliant on other people to right. provide something that you still need, who then inherently jack the price up, and thus it's going to cost all of us more. So while we're in the process of getting there, can we at least rely on the resources that we have available to us? Absolutely. To help the American people. That would be my request in all of this. Hey, man, as you go you don't have the infrastructure for that, right? I mean, even the people driving e vehicles now are upset because they're having to wait in line. We don't have fast rechargers enough. Like there's there, and this is why this issue that's fairly complex gets sucked into this political cesspool where we need to be talking about what is that logical continuum to move us and how do we stay on the cutting edge? Because cutting edge, we we energy is going to change because we have we've unlocked less expensive as reliable forms of electricity generation Mm -hmm. and it's going to continue the cost is going to come down as storage goes up you're going to see a lot of traditional fossil fuel they're going to get moved out coal's going to go to china they're going to sell it just like they sell tobacco Mm. i mean coal's not going away it's just not going to be here but hey, can you help change. me with something? Pardon me? Help me with something. Yes, sir. So to, to my conservative friends uh, that would say, well, we just got to, man, if we just get Keystone going back again, we'd be good to go. Gas would be right back down. Is it as simple as that? We, you know, Keystone's an interesting issue because what I would say is, are we not getting that sweet crude out of Alberta anyway? The, the, the cutoff, that, that pipeline is just, it's a political statement. It's not mm-hmm. a... It's not a safety statement. It's not an environmental. We're getting that. It's just coming in trucks. It's coming in the least efficient way, right? They didn't stop the sweet crude coming out of Alberta. They stopped the pipeline. Yeah. And if you ask those Canadians on those icy roads, if they'd rather have a pipeline or, or trucks coming through their neighborhoods, I guarantee every one of them would tell you they'd rather have a pipeline. Yep. So, so with what we're seeing is, is proof positive. And this, I don't know there's such clarity on. We have been buying fuel from our enemies for years. Yeah, that to me, just uh, as a as a guy who yeah has some opinions, but is no subject matter expert on any of it. It just doesn't. I just the smell test for me is like, why would I buy fuel from people who have literally said death to those people? Why would you do that? We're we're sending them dollars. They're buying bullets and shooting it back at us. I'll get it. In the man. Middle East, we should have. I know, man. I know. We can't solve the problems okay, today. Sorry. Much. Let me, no, it's all good. Hey, let me ask you one more before we let you go. You're always incredibly generous with your time. It's Major General Tom Mulliken joining us. Uh, every chance we get to have a conversation makes for a good day for me. You have seen some of the highest peaks and you've seen some of the depths of the deep blue sea. How are they similar? Um, how the, the, for me, I, I, you know, I've summited about 25 mountains and I've got dives in every ocean. Uh, how are they similar for me? I just, 
it's it's on i can say it's religious since i've got my phd in theology it's a it's a religious thing you know seeing the complexity of the lord's garden and what he's given us and the beauty of it is indescribable and the more you're out there uh and you see these things i've thought a lot about russia because of what's going on mm -hmm. my son and i summited mount elbrus mount elbrus in the caucus mountain range some of the most beautiful areas you know looking over at asia uh it's for me, the, the similarities is just the beauty of the Lord's creation. And it's worth saving. Yeah. It's worth yeah. protecting. Yeah. Incredible. My friend, it's always <laughs> good to see you. Thank and you. just uh, excited and motivated and hopeful for the work that's happening in the way that you're leaning in with organizations like Force Blue. I know the Surf Club was just incredibly uh, great to you in the Galapagos. You've got this amazing thing happening with SC7. So we're going to talk a little bit about that more when we get closer to it. And I know our listeners are just, Hey, this is a conversation we don't get to have here that often. Yeah. So it's great to lean in on topics that, that mean a lot to us that also have, because we have tangible things we can do to do our part. We can be picking up the six by doing things like what Tom talked about today. Yeah, that's good. It's been a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for all you do. Absolutely. He is major general Tom Mulligan. He'll be back again. Uh, growing friend of the show here. I'm Brian Jodis. And this has been pick up the six podcast.